sorry I don't love you A friend I've grown accustomed to Cause with you something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back this week, as is Tim Hardy. We're going to be talking all about the death of Superman. It's the trade version of the story, so we aren't going into the single issues or the return of Superman necessarily. But Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. How excited are you to be talking about the death of Superman? Because I know (laughs) (laughs) Superman is one of your favorite characters to read about and we've talked about him on here before with i believe it might have been your first episode with all-star superman that sounds right yeah um yeah excited is a strong word (laughs) uh i'm this is an interesting story it's one that i appreciate in idea more than execution though i do like it uh but it's yeah, this is it's an interesting companion, I would say, to the All-Star Superman episode. But, yeah, it's, it's a story. It, his, historically, uh, lots of interesting stuff that we'll get to eventually with it. But it, it's a fun story. There are lots of cool stuff in it. Yeah, and this is the comic that sort of lent a hand in the Batman versus Superman movie, which, you know, it's a movie. That's how I it, feel about it. <laughs> it. It is, in a strict definition of the term, a movie. But I think what this comic does is it gives you a better idea of, you know, sort of why you should feel bad <laughs> about this situation <laughs> that Superman is in, because... With the way he's written in the movies, he sort of has this darker tone to him. And, you know, with Superman, I've never really entirely gotten that feel from the majority of what I had seen of the character, either before or after watching Man of Steel. Would you agree with that? That, that would be uh, very accurate. Occasionally, stories get darker with him, but usually when they do, it's an intentional, like exception in the fact that it's an exception is important right like like he's not normally mopey and occasionally smiling in his first movie and then (laughs) mopey nonstop in his second until he dies that normally doesn't happen with the character yeah but the similarity here is that doomsday is a big part of what happens to superman and you know, his death and everything. So what do you think about Doomsday being sort of this big bad villain in this story arc? And I believe the trade starts with Superman, Man of Steel, number 18, and you have sort of a crossover event, basically, through a bunch of the different Superman and Justice League America titles until you hit Superman number 75, which is where you see the death of Superman. Yeah, which... uh... If I remember right, like, I have an older version uh, of the trade, so, like, looking in it, it, it's not very clear on how it works, but I know that the first, like, few pages or so of the trade are actually each page is just one page from, like, comics that led up to this first issue, because they would would hint at Doomsday 
showing up at the end of these issues, like that, like those pages where it's like the fist, like punching something, uh, saying doomsday is coming. But then even the first issue, like proper, like in the story, is very, like doomsday is just like a little recurring subplot in it. But uh, to sort of go back to question of like how I feel about like Doomsday in this, I I think they handle him like really well in this story. I think one thing that they do a good job of uh, is they don't, at least in the confines of this collection, explain who or what he is. I think. I forget if it was one of the later volumes, like, after this, like, A World Without Superman or Return of Superman, where they address his origins, or if that came, like, later down the road, like, I forget. But at least in the confines of this, it's just this crazy, super strong, almost looks like a spiky gray hulk, just comes out of nowhere and is just wrecking stuff, and he's not really character per se he's more of like a force of nature but i think it works for the story yeah and you mentioned having an older copy of the trade the one i have it actually lists like 12 of the creators on it so you know (laughs) this is a crossover that has a ton of people involved and i think the fact that they were able to have so many different people working on these books and have it still flow pretty well because I couldn't really tell that you were reading completely different books at times because the story just sort of started and ended and it almost felt like it could have literally just been a straight graphic novel and not in single issue form at times. Yeah, which a part of that I think unfortunately is because DC often at the time uh, even, and even recently, though in recent years, there's more good exceptions. But at the time, they were really set in their house style, like like making artists work within a certain window. Yeah. But it does it does come in handy for like a crossover like this, where you got this big list of people uh, contributing. Like, where's yeah? There's like four different pencilers, five different inkers, and yet it all still feels like uh, more or less the same art style. There are some pages that are like rougher than others, right. but overall it, it feels like the same like old school comic book feel. Yeah, so this storyline actually takes place in, I want to say, the early 90s, so like right around when I was born pretty much. I believe like 92, 93 is when this story started coming out. And me personally, I didn't get into comics until like, you know, two or three years ago when I had a job, had money, and now I'm back to not having money to buy a bunch of comics. But I do keep things like Marvel Unlimited just because I'm like, okay, if I'm going to splurge, I'm just going to do it sort of responsibly and just pay for a year of something and save money that way instead of paying month to month or something like that. But for DC, because they don't have a service like Marvel Unlimited, I found it a lot more difficult to go back and read a bunch of DC's older works because I'm someone who will buy trades, but like I said, right now, I'm not really spending the money on that. So while most of my collection is DC, I feel like I still haven't even put a dent in what I could be reading from DC. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, I personally don't read digitally, but I definitely agree just from a business sense that uh, they should probably have some sort of Marvel Unlimited type thing. I've heard they've had something in the works for a while now, or they have an idea for what they want to do for one, but I feel like nothing's really ever come of it. And, you know, I have no clue what any of the numbers are for Marvel Unlimited, but they offer like 20,000 comics or something ridiculous. So only paying 69 bucks to have access to that for an entire year, it feels like a steal to me. So it's hard not to get that and sort of just go through and read a bunch of stuff because it's so cheap in comparison to literally going out and buying new comics every week. Yeah, though I likewise have trouble affording, and yet I still make decisions to buy when I shouldn't. (laughs) And as much as you're describing not spending as much, I'm sure you've given in still a lot recently and been like, oh, but that's such a good deal. I got to get this. Well, see, it helped that my local comic book store shut down. So... I have not been as tempted to go to the comic book store like every week or every other week. But the thing is, he then had a ginormous sale on stuff. So I kept buying stuff for a while. And, you know, you and I both chat in the comic book thread on Chorus FM quite a bit. So you know that I still have like at least 30 trades that are waiting to be read on my shelf. And then that doesn't even count anything I could possibly read in Marvel Unlimited. So I have curbed my spending a lot more lately, but really I haven't read much outside of some of the recent stuff and New 52 because I largely have been collecting Batman titles. I maybe only have like three or four strictly Superman titles on my shelf and then it's like a ton of Batman (laughs) and Mm. then, you know, image comics and everything like that too. But what are some of your favorite time periods for DC Comics? Is it sort of this era where they cover the death of Superman, the return of Superman? Are you more into the new stuff? Is this sort of like one of the bigger stories of the 90s? I mean, killing Superman's probably a big story anyway, but I figure you know more about this than I do. (laughs) Yeah, um, it is a big story. Uh, It is a very 90s story. Uh, It is 92 when it came out. And um, I would say the 90s overall is not my favorite era for DC or comics in general. I don't have clear favorite eras for DC as much as I do for Marvel, simply because Marvel, I eat up everything, but DC, it's more characters here and there. I would say, though, uh, for DC in general, mostly modern, but also the 80s were really good which this is sort of fresh out of the 80s and somewhat like like a lot of the motivation for this was to recapture what made the 80s so good. Like in the 80s, Superman was relaunched, written and illustrated by John Byrne. Uh, and that's outside of like modern uh, DC stuff by like Grant Morrison and Jeff Johns and like all that stuff. I'd say outside of that, John Burns is up there like amongst the best. Uh, this, on the other hand, is a little... I, again, I, I like it. I wouldn't have wanted to talk about it if I didn't. But there's some like 90s uh, focus on action and some like messier art stylings that are 
it, it still has some of that 80s feel, but it's starting to lean into that exaggerated uh, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld imitating 90s messiness that uh, is, well, for people who know, like, older eras of comics, it, it's so quintessential, like, up what it is that, like, even now, I sometimes see things and refer to them as a very 90s comic, for better or worse. Yeah, and you actually sent me a video before we decided to record this about some of what happened to comics in the 90s, and I know you want to talk about that real quick, but it really feels like the 90s just did not go well for, like, a lot of people into comics. Yeah, like, from a business perspective, it went really well for a time, but it went really well for all the wrong reasons, and then went really poorly. And then creatively, uh, I mean, out of fairness, the late 80s into the 90s is when a lot of, like, more, like, left-of-center, like, weirder uh, art styles and more creative things came about to help birth the wide range of Marvel, Image, DC, all that stuff that we have today. So, in, in Image, this great thing we have now was birthed out of these corny, hyper-masculine 90s comics. So, like, it had its place, but... Yeah, it was, uh, I guess the easiest way to talk about it is to, like, jump back a second uh, to the 80s and a little bit of why Death of Superman came about. Uh, Because, I don't know, it just makes a lot more sense in that context. uh, Where, like I mentioned earlier, John Byrne was writing and illustrating and it was a big hit. Uh, People loved it. And then he left the title due to creative differences and the sales kind of started declining. And around this time, there were some big sellers. Like in the couple years before this, Jim Lee's X-Men number one uh, and Rob Liefeld's X-Force number one. Like to this day, they're still the two best-selling comics of all time, like single issues. So those just did this, just sold these big numbers, and people were into the super edgy uh, superheroes. Like, this was the era that Deadpool was born out of, and uh, when Punisher was at his most popular, and all that stuff. So, they were trying to figure out what to do with the character. They didn't know if they were going to let him get married, but then... There was a TV show in development where he's going to get married. So they're like, wait, hold on. And that, and somebody just joked, uh, the writer, artist, uh, Jerry Ordway joked, let's just kill him. And then that joke, like, stuck and is why, like, why this story ended up happening. But, yeah, a lot of that, like, weird, like, just trying to capture that, like, these big numbers, like, selling, like, X-Men and X-Force, like, these big, uh, like, sales, like, that really fueled a lot of creative uh, decisions, but ultimately, uh, a lot of this was fueled by not readers so much, but uh, speculators, which I had you watch, like, the video, so 
since I've been talking a bit continuously here, I don't know if you want to throw in like anything you noticed about why people are buying these comics so much. Yeah, when I was watching the video, I was sort of just like, why would you want like so many copies of this one specific comic? Because if you're able to get so many copies so easily, it's a little crazy to me to think they're going to be worth big money. Because when I watch shows like Comic Book Men or just, you know, these shows where people will find comics in a stash in someone's barn or something years later, you know, for the most part, they aren't going to be worth a whole lot because they've been sitting outside, they've, you know, been weathered and everything like that. But every once in a while, you'll come across these issues that you just haven't seen before because there aren't too many of them left. So to think that comics in the 90s were going to be what got you big money, it just didn't really make too much sense to me. And I understand the feeling of wanting your collection of whether it's comics or you know antiques or whatever it is that you're collecting to be worth something down the line you know it just depends because you know you can go buy a book from Barnes and Noble and you're like one of a hundred thousand people buying the book it's not really going to be worth anything later but because of how and when comics started they weren't really as popular then you know you had to convince people to read comics when they first started so the fact that there's only like 50 issues of action comics number one left in the world that's something that makes a lot more sense to me and the chances of those 50 copies still being in near mint condition are probably also pretty unlikely so you'd have to get pretty darn lucky to make millions off of any comics. <laughs> so to me, I, it was one of those things where I knew this happened in the 90s because I knew that, you know, Marvel had to sell off the rights to some other characters for the movies and everything like that because things got bad, but they were just printing way too many too. So it's like, you know, it's kind of the comic industry's own fault because they were not accounting for the fact that the demand just wasn't there to be printing that many. Yeah, it's funny that you say it's the comic book industry's fault because I would agree with that. But while I was uh, looking up some of this uh, background before the episode, I found a quote from the Superman editor, uh, Mike Carlin, where he claimed that it was the media, not DC, that like really made this death of Superman seem like a big deal that they made it seem like it was going to be permanent, uh, uh, but that allegedly DC didn't make it seem like that. Uh, so he was trying to blame the media. Uh, and then there's some blame to go to the speculator, uh, the, the outsiders, like, too. But, like, at the same time, like, a lot of that's on the comic book people themselves. But, yeah, like I mentioned, those two... Uh, X titles from the 90s are the two biggest selling issues of all time. And the third highest is Superman number 75, the last issue in this collection where Superman dies, where it sold 3 million copies. Right. But, but if there's 3 million copies of something... One's not going to be worth $3 million. Like, that's just kind of common sense. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
and and like that video pointed out, which uh, I should mention that the videos uh, by the YouTube channel NerdSync, I guess I should credit them. But uh, yeah, it a lot of these comics, like back in like the 30s, 40s, 50s, were viewed as disposable. You'd buy, read it, and then get rid of it. So there's like none of them left. Like you get comics that come out today that are worth way more than this. Uh, like a first printing, like even a first printing of like New 52 Batman by Scott Snyder will sell for like 40, 50 bucks. Right. But that's, be- but that's because the supply and demand aspect is there. Like there's, there's not much demand for these three million copies of this comic sitting everywhere. Yeah. And because this was so popular, too, I do want to bring this back to the comic a bit here before we get too off topic with, you know, the the comic (laughs) industry as a whole. But like you mentioned earlier, I noted that a lot of what happens in this series of comics are a ton of action scenes. And when you have a character like Superman and what they're doing with the character's main title now and making it more of a family book sort of thing. When you have a comic like this, it's just sort of the complete opposite. It's just nonstop action, it seems like. And he's pretty much just fighting Doomsday the whole time. You know, it's not like he's fighting a bunch of other people or villains along the way. It's just him really trying to not let Doomsday get to Metropolis and he can't figure out a way to stop him. And one of the things that I did notice too was Lois is present, but she's not sort of as upfront as she seems to be nowadays in the comics or even in some other Superman stories. That's pretty accurate, though even what you get of Lois here is a uh, forward step from what it was before. Because in the 80s with John Byrne, that's when she had a lot more of a prominent, like, assertive, uh, like, kind of role in the stories. Before that, she was written, like, even worse. But, I mean, still charming, but charming in a, like, old-fashioned, super problematic, uh, messy kind of way. But, yeah, like, in this... It, it's really not much like about her. Like she gets her moments, and there's some of the better moments in it. But it's it's largely like about setting up and then getting into Superman and Doomsday fighting each other. Like that's largely what this exists for. Though, honestly, besides the first two, besides the last issue, the first two issues before Doomsday really fully takes off are my favorites in the collection. Like, I just really like a lot of the moments in these issues where it's a little more, like, fun, and uh, and especially the second issue where Doomsday is going around, but it's, like, paired up with the, like, reporter, like, the interview, and it just... There's more personality to it than the middle of the book had. Yeah, when I was reading it, too, one of the things I noticed is that Typically with older comics, you'll have a lot more 
either narration or dialogue. There's just a lot more words in older comics in general because, you know, that was sort of the thing back then. And with this, because of how big the action scenes were, I felt like this was a good in-between for not having, you know, a ton of narration and dialogue. It's like, okay, yeah, we get it. He's fighting Doomsday. So you didn't really need a ton of narration throughout it. So I think they did a good job sort of balancing, you know, what they used to do with a lot of the older comics, especially stuff that, you know, Marvel and DC did in like the 60s and 70s and everything like that, when there were just so many words on the page. And I think that also helped allow the art to stand out a little more in these action scenes, because, you know, action scenes are, I'm guessing, not very easy to draw, you know, I'm sure it's much easier to just draw these characters standing still. But in this trade you have complete destruction everywhere and they do a great job of just letting you see that and sometimes you know you'll get these full page spreads where it's just you know art (laughs) and i think that's something they did well yeah and one thing they did really well in it that i don't know if you noticed is in the like latter half of the storyline uh they made a really cool uh creative decision where the very last issue, Death of Superman, is completely told in one-panel pages. Like, everything's, like, really big, like these big yeah. splash pages. The issue before that, every page has two panels, and then the one before that, three, and the one before that, four. So there's this, like, intentional countdown. Like, the first half, there's nothing, like, organized by that. But then it, when it reaches that final stretch... It's these four panel pages and then just decreasing the number of panels and by extension, increasing the size of them, uh, escalating up until that last issue, which uh, out of the actual Superman Doomsday fight is my favorite uh, issue because uh, like there's a couple images I don't love, but there are some fantastic, like massive like splash pages, like especially the the two page spreads where like Superman dies and like Lois standing over his body, like those those pages and that pacing is excellent. Yeah, I actually did not catch on to that with the panels and everything, but it's something I am definitely going to go back and look at once we're done here because I don't have the comic in front of me, but it's still sitting on my shelf. So that's certainly an interesting choice. And, you know, I was noticing more of the single pages more so just because that's so uncommon to have so many single pages of just art in a row. And they certainly grab your attention with things like that too even if you don't necessarily notice it in the moment it's like hey this is a lot of art on you know this giant page mm-hmm. yeah which you gotta know how to use them right but when you do use them right and uh i would argue that this story did know how to use them right those pages are just really great which i just as somebody who studied a little bit of art uh, in college before I figured out like what I wanted to do. I just have an appreciation for things like this and how Alan Moore and in imitating Alan Moore, Tom King will do the nine-panel grids and 
other artists will do other things, like the way that Bendis uh, really likes like out his pages to accommodate his Bendisy dialogue. Like a lot of that, like like form and like layout stuff, is just really cool when done uh, really well. Yeah, I think you and I definitely both agree on the fact that this is a better death of Superman against Doomsday than what we see in the movie. But is there anything else you want to touch on for the comic? I know our plan is to just keep this short here because, you know, holidays are coming up and everything. We're recording this like, what, four days before Christmas. So, you know, I'm just going to get out a Star Wars The Last Jedi episode before this and then this and then, you know, the holidays will be over. So hopefully you won't have too much to do. (laughs) Yeah, definitely got to Catch up on a lot of shopping. But yeah, as for, I guess, uh, to like uh, further explain part of why this works a lot better than Batman v Superman, which we kind of hinted at like early in the episode, but yeah. I just think in this, there's a sequence. Uh, I don't think it's a, the best written sequence, but I'm glad it's in there where there's, like, a mom and her teenage son, and uh, it's it's really, like, corny, the way that the characters are written and their dynamic, but it's just a fun little thing. But then, all of a sudden, Doomsday comes through and wrecks everything, and then uh, Superman has this tension at one point where he's like, okay, I gotta stop Doomsday, but I gotta save them. But I got, like, so he's, like, torn between these two extremes of stopping the bad guy, but saving uh, the civilians. And that doesn't happen at all in Batman v Superman. The only time he saves anyone besides Lois in some aggressive ways that I have a hard time believing didn't kill anyone, outside of that, and then there's like like a montage early in the movie where he's saving people and just looks really, really upset about it. Right. Other than that, there's, there's nothing. In the final sequence, there's, there's no attempts to save any, anyone. Like, Justice League is, like, a messy movie, and there's a lot of, like, like bad CGI on Superman's face. But I didn't care, because, which, I, I don't know, spoilers, by the time this episode comes out, everyone knows Superman came back to life in that movie. Yeah, I mean, Henry Cavill's been in all of the press, so hard not to know. (laughs) But there's, like, a moment at the end of the movie where Superman, like, goes in, punches Steppenwolf, does his thing, but then before finishing the fight with Steppenwolf, he goes out and saves a bunch of lives with a flash. And, like, that's what Batman v Superman needed. Like, as dark as the story is, Superman needs to save people. And ultimately, that's why this story mostly works. Because for all of its 90s quirks and flaws, it's still ultimately a story about Superman, like, saving people. Yeah, and even though the title gives away what's going to happen to Superman when you're reading this, it is an enjoyable read throughout because it's like, okay, we already know how this is going to end because the title says so. So you can sort of just sit back and see how they get to that point instead of constantly anticipating it. Yeah, which I appreciate as someone who looks up spoilers for comic book movies before seeing them. (laughs) 
I, I definitely enjoy knowing how a story is going to go, but being able to just sit back and see how it gets there. Uh, which, again, this largely did a good job at, for all of its 90s flaws and publication, whatever. Like, it, if you're going to tell a death of Superman story, uh, it should look very much like what this did. Yeah, you have to have all of those action scenes, too, just to see how worn down Superman has to get before he meets his demise, basically. Because you can't just have, like, Superman be saving, you know, a kid from getting hit by a car or something and just have him die suddenly. Like, you need to see that progression and see him being worn down like you do with this comic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you really feel his exhaustion at the end. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, man, I'm exhausted and I'm not even doing anything other than reading. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm if I'm honest, in the middle stretch of this uh, comic, I felt exhausted for some other reasons. But <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So overall, you and I both enjoyed this comic. And, you know, like I said, reading older comics is something that I plan to do, but it's not like I'm really anxious to read through like years of comics with a ton of words in them or something <laughs> like that, because there is a ton of good stuff that's out now, or, you know, with Marvel Unlimited out s six months ago that I could check out and everything like that. And you've come on for some of those comics, like All New Wol Wolverine, and I'm sure you'll be back on for something else again soon here. Mm -hmm. But you know, I I think that covers everything we wanted to talk about with this, right? Yeah, I I guess my one like final thought off of uh, what you said is there are a lot of old comics with like a crap ton of words, but a lot of the better ones I think read like kind of light. Yeah, like uh like I in in the past like year and a half or so i mean i haven't recently but i had like a year stretch when i just read like the first over a decade of just all the spider-man like amazing spider-man uh one through like right after the death of gwen stacy and a lot of like there were issues that felt like a real drag but some of it was like really bouncy and upbeat too so it really depends on who's writing the dialogue and how good they are at it but even the good stuff it's a very different beast and the first attempt at right at reading it after reading a bunch of modern stuff is an interesting experience yeah, no doubt. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for coming on. Like I said, you'll probably be back on for another comic book related topic soon, whether it's an actual comic book or movie that remains to be seen. I don't think we have anything else coming out until, you know, like Black Panther and New Mutants. Maybe we can get you on for New Mutants if you end up watching that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I'll... I'll See, I mean, I have thoughts that could be saved for a future episode, but I'll end up seeing it. I'm curious. Yeah, I definitely am, too, because it feels like they're definitely going to be taking some risks now. And then, you know, with the Disney buying Fox News, it, everything's up in the air right now. So <laughs> with comic <laughs> books and comic book movies. So we'll see how it all goes. And I know you and I were actually initially planning on talking about 
the first three X-Men movies, but with the news about Brian Singer, we decided to sort of wait that out and see what we want to do with it before committing to an episode just yet. So, you know, that that might be in the near future here because aside from Brian Singer, there are so many other people who worked on those movies who deserve us talking about them even if you know what brian singer was accused of is not something we can don in any way mm-hmm. that itself would be an interesting topic uh for an episode like discussing when it's okay to still enjoy something uh or when the people or a person behind it is enough to ruin the experience because that's a very like nuanced and personal decision. So that itself, uh, I mean, maybe there would be other people with better insight in it. But just generally speaking, I think that's an interesting topic in and of itself. Yeah, it certainly is. And it's one that people probably have different answers based on different mediums. Because like I said, with films, you have so many people involved in the making of a film, whether it's the director, the producer, all of the crew and, you know, post-production people. But then when you have someone like an actor or a musician, not an actor, but when you have someone like a musician and it's just them pretty much, that's, you know, a whole different story basically or at least in my opinion but you know we're totally off track here you will certainly be back (laughs) on soon and you know on that note i hope you all have enjoyed your holidays (laughs) so thank you all for listening as always we hope you enjoy the rest of your day